What's up, everyone? I hope you're doing well. Welcome to another fun-filled episode of the Everything One Black Podcast. Welcome back, Ralph Schmidt, to the regular stream. Ralph and I have mostly been doing Patreon episodes together, so this is um, a bit of a return for one of my best friends, Ralph Schmidt, to the normal feed. And uh, today, it's sort of a, a part two of an earlier episode. A while back, we covered Fields of the Nephilim, one of our mutually favorite bands. And there's a small coda to the career of Carl McCoy, the frontman and founder of Fields of the Nephilim. For a few years, there was uh, the band broke up. There was a little hiatus that went on, and the rest of the band continued on as Rubicon, and Carl formed a band called The Nephilim, and they released one record called Zune. And uh, that's a, uh, a bit of a sleeper. It kind of went under the radar for a lot of people. And on this episode, Ralph and I discussed that record, its importance in the catalog of Field of the Nephilim, and also its importance in the influence that it has extended throughout the metal scene. And uh, in my opinion, it's a very unique record. And uh, we go into all the reasons why. But before we do that, I'd like to thank all of our other podcasting brethren. You know, it's a really cool group of guys. We support each other's shows. We like each other's posts. We share all of our episodes. And there's a ton of mutual respect out there. And um, to start off the week, of course, on Monday... We have Horror Wolf 666, brought to you by Brandon Legion. It's a horror podcast, but instead of what we do over on Necromaniacs, Brandon is an interview-based podcaster, and he's got a lot of excellent guests, known filmmakers as well as up-and-comers, and, -comers. and uh, it's a really cool show. It's a good way to start the week off. On Tuesday, we basically have the only music uh, show that I listen to, and that's Into the Necrosphere, featuring my brother, Jackie Smith. And it's if you're into black metal, death metal, ex anything extreme, that's definitely the show for you. On Wednesday, we have Everything Went Black, which is what you're listening to right now. And on Tuesday, I return with Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid to discuss all things new and old in horror movies and that is the necromaniacs podcast going to the weekend we have uh, our brother carl haikara and his podcast soul Knox, which appropriately comes out on sunday the day of the lord and he discusses all things dark occult and esoteric another newer member of our group is um, Cheyenne from Trivax, his podcast, Iblis Manifestations. And there you go. That's pretty much all you need to do. Check out these shows and you'll be all set. Hey, everyone. It's been a while since I've had you back on the actual normal stream of this show, Ralph. So, uh, so welcome back to the uh, Everything Went Black normal show. So how's it going? 
Um, good, Mike. Good to be back in here. Hi, everybody. Uh, you, I hope you have missed me. At least some of you reached out and said, like, you want my voice back on the main show because because you're too too lazy and too cheap to like buy the Patreon for, for $1 a month. So plucks to all of you out there who support the Patreon. But but like, no shit, no shit aside, it's good to be back on here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, totally. It's um, we're we're gonna talk about a record that we've been discussing talking about for quite a while, and um, so I'm excited yep. to be doing this finally. And um, yeah, over the last like few months, I've been spending a lot of time with this record, you know. But before yeah. we get going, um, how was the show? You just you guys just played a bunch of shows. Yes, right. We had a, like a, a, I mean, we have five shows down in total now with Ropes of Night, and uh, last year we played two of them. And um, then it's like, uh, yeah, a bunch of shows got canceled or were canceled because some one of us was ill and shit. But now we actually had like three weeks. So uh, three weeks of shows back to back. We're like, not, not like three weeks, but like three weekends with one show each, which is a lot for and like us as a newer band and giving the situation that all the bands in the world are touring right now. And I can literally go like to three shows every day. Um, but yeah, we play like Friday of last week. We played with our friends Yellow Eyes from New York and Sun Worship from Berlin. So we played with two black metal bands and um, we did really well. I think like the seven people that showed up because it was at the same time, like 30 minutes away, Watain and Abbott Tribulation and Bilsa played. Oh, wow, man. Yeah. So, so like 60 people was still a good turnout. And um, we were like, okay, let's see if like if this music also works for black metal people. But I think all the people that came to that show really, really like they are into Yellow Eyes and and, and Sunday Worship and like the more underground stuff. And people dug it. And you had like even the hardest black metal like shake their ass to our songs at some point. It was kind of cool to see that. And um, so yesterday we got invited to play with LA's She Wants Revenge, not to be confused with She Passed Away. Um, yeah. Do you, do you know She Wants Revenge, Mike? No, I, uh, I am totally unfamiliar with them. And um, so, yeah, tell me, what, what are they all about? Apparently they're popular, right? Uh, yes, and that was the, that was the, the, the same thing that like, I, I wasn't too familiar with them too because – when our booker, like he's the promoter for the show, but he's the booker for Ulta too. And, and he asked us like, uh, so there's this band playing and uh, we need to support. Do you guys want to play with them? Um, um, and we're like, okay. So they're like, yeah, she wants to remember. So I'm like, oh, cool. That's the Turkish band. And uh, he's like, no, that's she passed away. But like, it, that's this band is she wants revenge. Like, oh, there are two bands with like almost the same name. Um and then I'm like, yeah, let, let me check that out. And I'm like, she wants, okay. So I typed it in on Instagram. It's like 150,000 followers. I'm like, what the fuck? Damn. And it's like fa Facebook, almost the same amount. I'm like, really? What what the hell is that? Then I spoke to a friend who, who DJs here at this bar that I also DJ now and then. And he's also really like into dark wave and post-punk. And he's like, oh, fuck, you're playing with them. They're awesome. The first record ruled. I have no idea what they did after that. I'm like, okay. And from what he told me, these guys are have been around for a long time, and they've um, they come from. I mean, they're from LA now, but they are like 
they come from the hardcore punk scene. And he said like they used to be they used to be playing with bands like Mile Marker, Cursive, mm. and these kind of bands. I so like, like Mile the Marker Settle a Creek. Lot. Yeah. Yeah, dude, me too. I always loved them. So it was like that the faint and and this kind of like radio four from that time frame. It's like, okay, I must have heard of them, but I really can't remember it. So I dug like I dug deep and like the first record is actually pretty cool it's like drum computer it's this guy singing it's really monotonous and repetitive but it's kind of like a more stale version of the early interpol stuff oh, okay. but it's actually pretty cool so it's a decent decent listen to i like the like the first record driving car but they've got like a diehard fan base like from from like the people in my age here all of them knew them um but it still like doesn't explain to me like why is there 150,000 people liking them? And so we played that show yesterday, and like when I watched videos on YouTube, like people went apeshit screaming like it's a fucking boy band. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And so I talked to them because it was the same way yesterday. People were super into it. They were super into us, which was great, and played to like almost 400 people. Biggest show we've played so far. And I spoke to the singer and, and, and the guitar player afterwards, and they said like that one of their songs, their big hit from like the earlier records, was featured in one season of American Horror Story. That, so that'll do a lot it, of man. people must <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people must have shazammed it. And through that, Billie Eilish obviously found them. And now that song that is in 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 American Horror Story is one of the three songs that always plays in stadiums before Billie Eilish goes on stage. So she must have had like a ritual like Iron Maiden have, where they always have that one song playing before they go on stage. And one of these songs must be like the She Wants Revenge song. That's why they are so insanely popular oh, wow. and have an audience of like eighty, like fifty percent old goth people like in full in full gear and the rest was like young teenage girls i'm like okay this is a weird mixture but it was a fun show these cats were super nice and we had a great talk with them um they gave us kudos they all watched our set while we played and like talked us up like oh this song was cool and i like the pedal you use and i like it when bands are still like this even though they're successful yeah that was a good evening that's awesome, man. That's cool. I'm I'm glad to hear that, man. That's um, you know, pretty pretty killer, yeah. you know. And uh, yeah. So um, you know, I'm gonna announce this now. Is I'm I'm gonna be at uh the Unholy Passion Fest this year. So everyone out there who's listening, if you're in Germany and you're planning on going to this festival, I will be there. Ralph, you'll be there. Oh, Some man. other other friends will be there, and uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna rage. So. Yes, I'll dude, have an opportunity awesome. to see you guys perform. Oh man, that's that's rad. So you booked flights, or you have flights? Not yet, but I'm gonna get them uh, today, probably. Right. Yeah, but I mean, it's oh, definitely man. it's uh, it's I'm 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 definitely coming. Just I I had to move uh, a couple things around in my schedule, and that's done. And the the flights part is easy. So you know, that's fucking awesome, dude. Like that's one of the best news in forever, man. Yeah. yeah. This will be awesome. We'll play the whole record, like, uh, front to back. 
and do some extra shit and like the other bands that will play are fucking amazing lucia will come from the uk nice um i mean like i heard the podcast with you and jackie and jackie like says he considers coming if he's like can we make it work with his uh journey to uh, africa i think he said south africa yeah um, he's, um, yeah he's south, south yeah. african yep <clears throat> yeah so yeah i mean and and yos will come out and so there will be a bunch of people that listen to this podcast that will be at that show so we'll definitely have to do like the everything when black uh legions europe division kind of like photo <laughs> or something <laughs> absolutely i was just thinking how cool that would be that we have a photo with like a bunch of us together and uh that'd just be a lot of fun sure. yeah you know and Dude, uh, we'll make it work oh yeah totally you know I, I, it's just our tour got postponed till next year so that's a real drag and you know i've already kind of told some people about that so um you know i i had to there's some, some other other items work related stuff i had to move around but now my schedule is clear buying the tickets is easy and uh, the prices are actually still pretty reasonable so i'm gonna be finalizing uh, my plans like over the next day or so fan fucking tastic best news thanks oh, yeah. man that's that's so cool I'll, I'll look forward to that dude like i i don't even know like last time was that roadburn right where yeah. you played yep the, that like anvil tour yeah yeah that was like a quiet i was thinking about that this morning actually as i feverishly woke up this morning i was like oh yeah that's the last time i was in wow actually that's not the last time i was in europe but that was the last time i saw you yeah and let's see uh perfect perfect segue you know what band you saw that night? I do. Like, even though you were in, in the midst of chaos of getting your shit together for touring the UK with Black Anvil, what band was that? Fields of the Nephilim. A yeah, band man. that I never, ever thought I would ever, ever see live until that day. And then it's like in one of the most perfect settings you can see them at because that old 13 venue in Tilburg for Roadburn perfect sound perfect light and i remember that like i saw him a bunch of times but that show was really good yeah they don't come to the states man so you know that's that's what i envy about uh people that live in europe is they get to see bands like that uh, i know that they do a lot of festival dates and and all that over there yeah and uh you know i gotta be honest man now that you now that you mention this like it's coming back to me that day and you know it's been a really really long time man since i've had a day like that you know, and I'm yeah. really, you know, remembering how great that was. And and I'm, that's why I think I'm looking forward to going to Unholy Passion Festival. It's going to be a day similar to that, I think. Friends and yeah, you, good music and being in a different place and all that sort of stuff. And you don't have to perform yourself. So you can just go there to enjoy yourselves. You know, this is the first time I've been to Europe without being on tour. So this is actually uh, another milestone for me, too. Uh, yeah dude like the older we get we learn what quality actually is yeah definitely <clears throat> so the record that we're going to talk about is a, a record called zune and technically it's not a fields of the nephilim record it's a record by carl mccoy's other band that happened when he left fields of the nephilim called the nephilim with an f so that's uh, that's like an interesting uh, fact about that that I believe gets lost in the annals yeah. of time as people look back. Yeah, it's overlooked because like they re like they broke up in the early '90s, I think after Elysium, 
and then they reformed later on and when uh, morning star came out uh, morning sun came out people were like oh that 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 uh the music has quite changed since uh since elysium came out it's like yeah because you're pretty much missing the 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 bridging stone yeah. because the soon record is the bridging gap between Elysium and Morning Sun, in my opinion. So before we talk about the record, let's give a little back background for these guys. If anyone out there who yeah. isn't quite familiar with Fields of the Nephilim, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I'm just FYI, guys. I'm under the weather a little bit, so my voice is a little froggy right now. Apologies for that. So the band um, was founded in 1984 in Steven, Stevenage, Hertfordshire, UK. And... Um, <clears throat> the first record was uh, Dawn Razor, and that debut was in 1987. And the original lineup featured Carl McCoy on vocals, Peter Yates on guitar, Paul Wright on guitar, Tony Pettit on bass, and Alexander Wright on drums. And um, McCoy leaves the band in ni- from 1991 to 1998, and that's when, um, that's when the Nephilim was active. The remainder of Fields of the Nephilim uh, drafted uh, vocalist Andy Delaney, and they continued on as Rubicon, and they released two records, What Starts, Ends, and, Ru- and Room 101, 101. Have you heard the Rubicon stuff, Ralph? Uh, actually, no. I was always like meaning to do that, but I've never did. Is it any good? It's good. It's it's. I mean, the music is great, you know. And um, actually, Mike Scandato was the one who told me about them years ago. And uh, Mike okay. also, uh, my co-host over at, at Necromaniacs, is a huge Fields of the Nephilim fan too. And um, he told me about Rubicon, and I borrowed the CDs from him back then. That's how long ago this is. This is when we were, you know, we had CDs of everything. And um, I remember ripping the CDs. <laughs> <laughs> putting them on my <laughs> putting them on my iPad iPod and uh being like, Yeah, this is pretty cool, but you listen to the music and though Andy Delaney's a fine vocalist, you want to hear Carl McCoy's like stentorian voice on there, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean that's always the discussion when you have bands with a singer that you know and uh they do new stuff with a different singer. It can always go like both ways, but mostly it doesn't work for me. For example, I mean, you and I were both big fans of Alice in Chains. And I know you talked with Randy about Alice in Chains and also like that he gave praise to the later records with that, with the guitar player of, um, oh fuck, well, dude, like this hardcore band, oh man, Southern Lord just put it out. Like the new singer in Alice in Chains used to play Neon Christ, right? He was the guitar player in Neon Christ. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. And yeah, and and, and he's a, he's a good vocalist, and he sounds pretty much exactly like Lane Staley, but I think he shouldn't sing his lyrics. You know, like he's he's like, and that always is a problem for me. And now, for example, I'm not a I I don't know if you're a fan, but I'm not a fan of Power Trip, but like they are a oh. huge band. And and now they will put out a new record with a different singer too. I don't know, man. Yeah, that that's um. I didn't know. I mean, I'm not a fan of Power Trip, really. I mean, I mean, not no disrespect. I just never really got into them, and they're not really the kind of band I would listen to. But um, yeah. that is. I mean, especially when the singer passes away, um, yeah. it's kind of like 
I think that's a really good reason to end the band and maybe do something different, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we uh, you had the discussion of like on back then on metal matters, but like the topic came up on everything with Black Now and Then, the Diano versus Dickinson, Iron Maiden stuff. But that was like after one record, you know. And there's this whole legacy. But if your band is founded like Alice in Chains, based on on the lyrics and vocals of that one guy, and he passes away, I don't know, man. I also would say I'll call it quits. With, with Alice in Chains, that's the thing. It's like you, you could even say the same thing about you know ACDC, Bon Scott, and and Brian Johnson, yeah. you know. But at that's, I mean, I'm not giving this like uh, this is a, a, giving this a little bit of a consideration. Is that there's so much riding on this band continuing as far as like, sure, you know, people's salaries and you know, crew members' livelihoods and things like that. That you yeah. have to you know keep keep that in consideration too, but. I have to say that, um, you know, I'm going to talk about Alice in Chains because me and Randy both saw them play at Hellfest back back mm-hmm. a few years ago, and um, if if only if they had only focused on the new material and had that guy sing, that would be like okay, cool, it's Alice in Chains. But mm-hmm. you know, there's the showbiz aspect of it, which is like playing all the classics, and though that yeah. guy's a great vocalist, and I like what he's done in the band. Um, he just doesn't have the pain in his voice, man, and the soul that like Lane Staley had, yeah. you know. And I know yeah. that Jerry Cantrell does a lot of the vocals too, you know. But yeah, you know, if, you know, give respect where respect is due. That if you're doing the songs that Lane sang a lot on, you you have to keep that in mind, you know. Yeah, there's there's a video of I don't know what festival that was where um, Phil and Selmo in his. <laughs> In his long hair, junky, junky face, he sang Wood with mm-hmm. uh, Alice in Chains. And that made more sense to me, even though the vocal performance wasn't as good as having this other guy sing that song, because I think he can relate to being a junkie and sure. miserable. Yeah. yeah. No, I, but I mean, yeah. I've seen videos of that performance too, by the way. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't want. I mean, the the ACDC thing is is like a good example. They've got, I think, very, pretty much like the discography by now is like fifty percent with both singers, and there's so much good shit. And you could argue the same thing. I don't know, but like in ACDC, there's not like there's not a lot of pain in the vocals. I think, but like for, maybe it's just like that. Alice in Chains is such a sentiment subject to me that I'm like indifferent about that. So, but yeah, I see like with. At least, like with Fields and Rubicon, they didn't name it Fields of the Nephilim. So they had like a new name. It's a different band, and then that's fine for me. Yeah, I felt like they they went about it the right way. You know what I mean? And and that that yeah. you know give them props for that. So how did you discover Fields of the Nephilim? Since we're going back and giving a background of the band, like what was your introduction to the band? Yeah. Um, let's see. I. I have to think back. I, I think I made it, I, I explained it on that. We, I mean, for all of you out there who haven't listened to it, Mike and I did a, like a big episode on Fields of the Nephilim. Right. And and I have to recall, like, where was that? I, was, I think it was, again, on a mixtape of someone that gave it to me. That must have been like that era. I, I know I was familiar with Sisters of Mercy, and that was because of my French exchange partner yep. in school who, who gave me that tape with Alice Cooper on the one side and Sisters on the other side. 
and from there on like these french goth kids were like in, in like in our city now and then and then that's where i found out about cure and bauhaus and all these bands and i think through a connection with one of these cats or like someone there gave me a mixtape i found out about fields of the nephilim yeah yeah i um you know once again you know we did an episode on this but for anyone out there is we got a bunch of new listeners on board too um you know i found about found out about fields back in the 90s through reading propaganda magazine which was um this like old school like goth industrial mag and um you know when i used to work at the newberry comics warehouse they would come through all the time and i'd be like oh this looks interesting there's like death in june coil um I remember even Soundgarden was on the cover mm. of one of the one of the issues, or they were featured in the magazine. And uh, so I read about Fields, and I also was familiar with um, Sisters of Mercy. And aesthetically, just on the surface, there's like a similarity. You know what I mean? There's like these kind of dark guys with like you know sunglasses and you know black and white photos and mystery yeah. and smoke machines and all that. But when I finally listened to them it's it was like way different way more intense darker uh the lyrics were were not typical pop lyrics and um you know McCoy wrote a lot about the occult and chaos magic and Sumerian mythology and the Lovecraftian mythos and stuff that was in line with the kind of things that I had I was interested in you know and uh yeah it's funny I look at Going back on like post punk or goth music, Bauhaus were another band that stand stands out as being more punk. Like they had like a punk vibe in within the yes. goth world, and Fields of the Nephilim had like a heavy rock vibe in the goth scene. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, they, yeah. There were no drum machines yeah. or dance beats or anything like that. Yeah, from I mean, from the get go, I mean, it was like on, on Dawn Razor, it's pretty straightforward still. I think even the sound was a bit more chunky than Sisters ever were, but like on the second and third output, then they had like they had their own shit going. They had their own sound, and it was between these heavy distorted guitars and these clean chorus jangly guitars, and that was always heavier than Sisters of Mercy ever were. And sisters were like classic, I mean, like, yeah, goth goth people that are like uh, heartbroken, listen to Dead Can Dance and Sisters of Mercy. But like the whole desert image and more ghostly kind of like, I don't know, American approach to yeah. things. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, like sure. it, that was... It was their strong suit. I mean, it's it's like yeah, if you if you like if you want to read like watch a Herzog's Nosferatu, and then you can listen to Sisters of Mercy. But if you listen, uh, if you check out like old like old Western movies, like Italian Western movies, then you will have like more the the fields of the Nephilim vibe. So it was more dirty, grittier, heavier in its way. I also want to drop. This is going to be a jump, actually, and I, this is like a concept I've been working with for a while. Uh, another way that I got exposed to these guys was through Richard Stanley's film Hardware, which features a brief cameo of Carl McCoy in in uh, in the beginning of the film. And I know that Richard Stanley was really close with the band because he produced uh, two videos for them. Uh, you know, okay. he, did, he was like friends with Carl McCoy, and like 
And that makes a lot of sense to me because uh, Richard Stanley is also, you know, into chaos magic and the occult and, you know, all this like witchcraft stuff. And uh, I think aesthetically, I think they kind of borrowed a little bit from each other, maybe, you know, and that once again, yeah. this hasn't been verified by any kind of interview or whatever. But uh, yeah, um, Stanley directed uh, Preacher Man and Blue Water, the Fields of the Nephilim mm. videos. And you know, in the beginning of Hardware, you see Carl uh, McCoy wandering across the desert with his. It looks like he's walking home from Fields of the Nephilim band practice. You know, he's got his hat, <laughs> his duster on, like these like crazy glasses, yeah. and and um, you know, and and that deserty kind of trip is a lot of Richard Stanley's vibe. You know what I mean? And I think that maybe that went hand in hand with the creation of the image of the band. You know. Yeah, and, and once again, yeah. that's just like uh, a wild guess or some kind of educated guess, I guess, on the whole thing. And the thing is, like in the time that Fields started out, um, look at the peers; they all looked like Sisters of Mercy and Bauhaus, but no one looked like Fields of the Nephilim. I mean, they were like pompous hats. If you look at like the old, old early um, Sisters of Mercy photos, where. Uh, the guy from the mission was still in the band. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. and and then he left the, left to form the mission. Everybody was rocking hats all the time, and they had like leather jackets on and spiky boots. But the fields they looked like a fucking any and like you could like take a band photo of them and put like original score by Ennio Morricone <laughs> on it, and and people would say like, oh, what's that western? I don't know that one. It's like. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, they have a song called Preacher Man, and if you if you read uh, read the Preacher comic books, like you could have Fields of Nephilim play alongside, and it just works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so the band that they have this split, you know, where everyone goes off and does their own thing for a while, and we got uh, Carl McCoy doing the Nephilim, and now that was an even further departure because. That was like a, a industrial metal record. Like the guitars were like thrash guitars and like there's double bass, you know, double kick drum on some of the songs. The vocals yeah. were like more extreme, you know, and it was basically a metal record, right? It is, yeah. And um, I, I, uh, I got to be honest with you, the first time I heard it, I didn't really like it that much. Is that interesting? Mm, yeah, but I can I can see why, and I think that that goes for a lot of fans. And by the time that came out in '96, you I guess you were already a fan of Fields of the Nephilim. Yeah, yeah, I was. And and then so for me, it was like kind of retrospective because in the phase where I got to know all these bands, um, I wasn't like I I knew of Fields of the Nephilim, but they became more important to me later so for me it was like going through their back catalog by again um going through the music garage which is the music garage in in heppenheim where i come from going through the second hand cd bin and i think the first thing i ever bought there was the um oh, is it revelation the double cd oh yeah like, mm -hmm. yep yeah that was the first thing i bought and and then it's like oh what's this what's that and then it's like oh yeah like look look at just for something called the nephilim that's also them I'm like okay so i bought that back then too and i was like oh this sounds different but at that time it must have been around 96 97 
there was this huge wave, like the aftermath of bands that have changed. And we've addressed this topic here a bunch of times that something had changed between 92 and 94, 95. And um, I mean, we will talk about a bit more about the record before I go to all these bands that I, because I wrote down all the bands from that time that had like weird offshoot projects that all sounded like this this industrial thrash kind of way that uh, the the Zoom record works. Yeah, well, I'll come to this in a minute, but it has like this yeah fast palm muted thrash guitars, but then like chorus arpeggios and a lot of double kick and really like this industrial kind of mechanical beats going for it, and it only pretty much has one straight up Fields of the Nephilim song, which is Shine, and then like moments of classic Fields of the Nephilim on Zoom 1 and 2, but the rest is like almost straight up metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, it's, um, well, uh, Zoom 2, uh, Wake World, that's my favorite song on the record, and that combines, mm -hmm. that's kind of like a, a full bandwidth of all the things that McCoy is capable of. You got like, the intro is like very much like old Fields of the Nephilim, and then it goes yeah. into this like almost like um you know almost like this like kind of guns and roses like guitar thing yeah. going on in the middle of the song and then the ending has this kind of epic like grandiose like vibe to it you know yeah it's a it's a like a, a more metal take on the opulence of, of elysium i think where sure. they have like these long long songs and going through different like a kind of again kind of the thing that I try to do with Ulfa, to have like long songs that go through the different phases, meandering from one to the next. And that's what this record does too. And that's like a pretty much also like an influence that this band has on me and this record. And it can like, I can also see like when, when Carl McCoy left the Fields of the Nephilim and, and he's like, I, I assume that he was like, oh, dude, like I'm, I'm, I'm done with the quote unquote gruff Andrew Eldridge image I had, like, because he was always compared to Andrew Eldridge yeah. and his vocal range is so much higher. Like he can do like the clean vocals, the higher ones, he can do the low clean vocals, but he does like actual growls on this record, like to some degree, especially like an Exodus, it, it almost like. The Exodus song now, listening to it again, and that was like, I re-listened to that record for the first time in a while after I listened to the podcast of you and Jackie mm -hmm. talking about the contemporary black metal bands. Right. And like bands like Garia and, and Panzerfaust and like a lot of these Debo Moore Morty bands, the more like modern French, Eccles, and they have like these parts where they have like chugging double bass. And have like the rough vocals and then it sweeps into these like one guitar plays clean melodies on top of it and goes into a spoken lyrics and that's pretty much exactly what happens on the exodus for example yeah oh totally yeah yeah definitely yeah you know um that yeah that's i mean that this record also um one of the biggest uh extreme metal bands in the world behemoth covers a song off of this record uh penetration yeah and it makes a lot of sense actually i i I actually wasn't totally. aware of them covering this song until recently. And now when I listen to Behemoth, I hear every song of theirs with aspects of this one record on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and also, uh, uh, do you know uh, Nurgle's other band, Me and the Man? Oh, yeah, of course. I do know that, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and he actually played songs with Carl McCoy on stage. Like they did Fields of the Nephilim covers together with Carl. That's great. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Not 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 not, not that me and the man is any good. But no. Like it's Awful. good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, terrible. Two records of yeah. just complete garbage, really, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, so when McCoy formed this with uh, John Cappuccino Carter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, John actually ended up uh, a member of Fields of the Nephilim when they reformed back in uh, in 98. So the band, you know, he continued working with Carl. Mm. Now, Carter Carter uh, was only in the band, the Nephilim, for about a year and uh, was replaced with Paul Miles on guitar. Uh, then we, he was, uh, the, the lineup was rounded out with Simon Rippin on drums. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a... It's Cyan, but I think it's Sean. Sean mm-hmm. Hoochin on bass. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name the right way. It's C-I-A-N. Sean Cyan. Cyan. I'm not sure. Cyanide. I don't know. Hoochin. 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 It's a French name. I don't know. Sean Hoochin. I don't know. Hard to say. But anyway, that's that's the lineup of the band. And... Sadly, this band never toured, at least based on my research. They might have played live, but I don't think they ever toured. Yeah. I don't even know if they played a show. Like, I I think that was like a one-off thing, like, let's do this record and see how it goes. And I must assume that it wasn't quite popular. I can, like, I'm in that phase in, like, 96 that was already again the aftermath of the things that I want to talk about in a bit, like these pens. And I think, um, I I guess it wasn't successful. And I don't know if Carl like aimed for success. I I don't think he ever did with any of his bands. Um, but I can I assume like they did it, and they still like let's see where this is going. And then like they moved along, and then they reformed Fields of the Nephilim and. That was just more commercially successful. I don't know, but like I have no no recollection of any shows they played. I, I have a theory about this as well, and um, <laughs> I there's a bunch of interviews out there which take place during this period of time of uh, you know, when Zune came out and then when uh, Fields reformed, and there's an interview, uh, I think it was on French MTV, where uh, Carl was talking about the demise of uh, the Nephilim. And he basically said, you know, they, they just, they, they wanted to do it their way. And I wanted to do it my way, meaning referring mm-hmm. to touring. I'm sorry. That mm-hmm. was in a Zillow interview. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, so that, you know, once again, it's a little obscure, like why, but I can imagine like McCoy had like his own specific ideas about touring and the way the band should perform. And, and it might've been just uh you know, wanting to be in control of the entire show and not being a support mm. for other bands or just doing this, or maybe he wanted to be on the road all the time and the guys in the band didn't want to do it that way. So that's that's basically it as far as no tours. You know, it's all out there mm. in, this, in this one interview that Carl did. Yeah. I, I, must, I must imagine also, like, given given the, the history that the Feeds of the Nephilim had and the reputation, the looks... I mean, they've got the game. They own it, you know? Like, they've got that image that no other band has. 
And I mean, now look at look at black metal nowadays. I think Midnight started it with the Black Cloaks, and then Mugwa made it big, and now all the bands are doing it, and they all sound like Mugwa as well. Yeah, true. And and but like no one dared to fuck with the Fields of Nephilim thing, you know? Like of course people rocked hats or shit, but like this this they look like they're covered in flour all the time, <laughs> and I mean it's just like they've got such a unique thing. So I assume. When they played live, like if, if they thought about playing live, the Nephilim, I guess they would have done it differently, don't you think? Like yeah. they, that Carl had the, like, did want to aim for a different aesthetic, maybe. Yeah, well, that, but also he, he probably wanted to aim for a different aesthetic, but still, I imagine he wanted to be in control of like the whole thing, you know? Because yeah. it's like, sure. one, one of the things that I um, picked up on in doing some of this video research is. They were framing them up along with metal bands, you know what I mean. So mm. if Fields of the if the Nephilim were to tour, they would be probably supporting other metal bands, you know, like, and then it would be yeah. this kind of thing. Okay, you guys get a half an hour set, you know, and you're supporting yeah. like Sepultura or something like that, you know. And I don't think exactly like yeah. that probably wasn't what he wanted how he wanted to present the band you know he probably was like i'd rather do smaller tours where we can control the environment of the stage and do all of our things and play the entire album and not just have a half an hour to to you know our support slot you know yes and that, that that pretty much leans exactly into the time frame that we're talking about again the thing i wanted to mention i mean we've talked a bunch of it about it but like this shift in metal in between 91 and you know, 91, 92 to 94, 95 metal became the most successful it ever was, I think. And it was like bands with, well, like Sepultura with their change between Arise and Chaos AD, what they did. And, um, I just like from the top of my head, like I again, like early on when I did research, I'm like, okay, so what do we have? We always have like, the biggest change, I think the most successful thing was Chaos AD, which off-spawned then bands like Machine Head and Korn coming out and this shit. Um, but you've got like, uh, we, we talked about Faith No More. We did an episode on them. And between Angel, a uh, real thing in 89 and Angel Dust in 92, the sound completely changed. Yes. It was more cineastic, more keyboards, um, a better production. And that kind of sound they had going, and that's exactly the sound that feels of the Nephilim, uh, that the Nephilim has too. It's like clean bass, like active pickup bass, Ampex DAG, like this kind of thing. Clean guitars, like uh, through compressed active guitars. Uh, I don't know the keys. And they have like a sound that a lot of bands in that time all of a sudden had. It was also the sound like Fear Factory came out with Soul of a New Machine in 92. And then in 95, they put out Demanufacture. And they pretty much, like they brought this industrial metal thing to its most popular form. And seeing that the Nephilim came out in 96, I must assume they were on Metal Blade and Fear Factory were the biggest band in the world at that time that like they would have been like, okay, so you're going out with Fear, Fear Factory and you can play like 30 minutes. Exactly your thesis. I would uh, totally uh, like sign this like on a dotted line that it was that way. Yeah, you know, and, and once again, this is all speculation. Like we didn't get a chance to interview Carl about any stuff. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. 
but yeah like that that i mean i thought about like like listing these bands i had like tiamat with june clouds in 92 and wild honey in 94 yeah. and wild honey was a huge success and chaos ad then we had creator we've talked about them before like coma of souls 90 was a straight up thrash record renewal had like industrial drums and tribal shit almost like neurosis um Paradise Lost had Draconian Times and then was, went to One Second and Host, like to almost alternative. Um, obituary and Complete, 92, one of my first, like my first death metal record, my favorite, like probably one of my favorite death metal records. The next one was World Demise, which was almost like a hardcore record when they toured with Sepultura. Right. And you had bands like Samael with Ceremony of Opposites in 94 and then through Rebellion in 95 and Passage all of a sudden with a drum computer. So Industrial was incorporated in this in the metal world. And like what were the biggest bands at that time aside from Fear Factory? It was Typo Negative and Nine Inch Nails. I would love to have seen a Typo Negative, the Nephilim tour. That would have been incredible. Oh, and that would have worked because I assume that Pete Steele or like they, they would have said like, dude, like we want you to play this and you can play the whole fucking record if you want to, because I'm pretty sure that they like that. Oh, yeah. But definitely. like, but like this, this melange of, of you having metal, which is like really well produced because all of a sudden there's money in metal to be made. So all these bands get gigantic budgets and they incorporate the stuff that they've been listening to, to anyhow. So, um, I mean, on that, uh, on the manufacturer is a cover of Dark Day Sunrise by the band Head of David. Do you know them? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And that there's ties to God, God flesh. And so, like, Fear Factory always gave plugs to Killing Joke. Pandemonium, a killing joke, came out in 94. And pretty much is the blueprint for the manufacturer as well. And... Also, perfect comparison to uh, to what the soon became, and one of the biggest records in '92. One of my favorites is Psalm 69 of Ministry, and I would I would say that if you listen to Pazuzu Black Rain, that's pretty much a Ministry song with Slayer riffs or uh, Venus decomposing. Like, there's a lot of Ministry going on as well. Well, that that was it's it's that's good that you mentioned that because that initially. When I first heard this record, that was my take on it, was that I'm like, oh, man, these guys are just, like, copying ministry, you know? And I, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm saying that now, looking back, and that's how me in my 20s looked at it, you know? But it was like, but slowly I started really getting into the record because, you know, like you said, it's like Slayer riffs, ministry, distorted vocals, like Black Rain specifically. You know the chorus, yeah, the part, drums, like the drums, everything yeah. about it was like very ministry. Ministry, were like on the top of the world around that period of time. You know, yeah, like they were huge. They were you know doing these gigantic tours and everything. You know, yeah. And I mean, right now, like they, I mean, they've always been active. And I kind of lost interest after Filth Pig, but I always had respect for Ministry. And now there's this big tour going right now with Nine Inch Nails, Ministry, and Nitzer App in the states and that's like a killer bill and i mean ministry unfortunately just canceled their european tour because again like the pre-sales are shit so oh, like yeah. I, i've never seen them i would have loved to see them but it's not happening 
But yeah, I mean, like, again, like Psalm 69 came out in 92. And then like, you had like this, it's a weird time you had like, but also like rap metal happened. And I mean, for you, all of you out there, this here is one installment of like where Mike and I want to talk about important records to us that are kind of like under the radar. Yeah. But we also want to, we want also want to do a branch out where we'll talk about genres of music that were on top of the world for a while and have like faded out or fizzled out and are probably not there anymore. And I guess we will do like a crossover, but not like crossover as in leeway or municipal <laughs> ways, but, but, but like the, the horrible crossover that was like all like judgment night and what came after it. Yeah. Yeah. That was a valiant, a valiant attempt at, uh, you know, crossing over, but it kind of fell flat. You know, it was it had its moments, yeah. but never really had any longevity. Yeah. You know, but this yeah. record actually, I caught up with this record over the years, and it, it actually is probably my number one or number two record to go to for when I want to listen to uh, you know Colin McCoy and Fields of the Nephilim. You know, this record and Elysium are all are two of my yeah. favorite records that he's been involved with, and then. When they when the band reformed, a lot of these tracks ended up becoming part of the fields of the Nephilim set list. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. you know, like uh, Wake World, uh, Penetration. You know, there's that Cere yeah. Ceremonies live DVD, which um, yeah, a lot of those songs are featured on that. Yeah, and it's cool because, like, again, later on with Morning Sun, they did stuff that is like a mixture of all that stuff, and now when they play live sets it doesn't feel forced because you can have you can have of course they play moonchild and and uh all the other hits but they also have like the harsh stuff and the people at these shows they're into all of that it's not like people are leaving the room oh they're playing penetration now or i don't want to hear that like but people are embracing the whole canon of the call mccoy work with the world nephilim in it uh. Yeah, just once again going back to that hell on uh, Hellfest, um, the uh, Roadburn Fest. Uh, I saw mm -hmm. Carl backstage, and I just did not have the courage to go and talk to him, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I remember you took a picture with Tom Warrior, yep. and I think I would have I would have dared to go to Tom Warrior too, but I don't know if I would approach I would approach him. Like I don't know, like it's kind of this because there's this mystique around him. I mean, did you see him in costume, or was that like? I don't know with short hair. I don't even know if he has long hair. Oh no, it's like he, a wig. He kind of seems like he dresses that way all the time, with like some sort of like, like he actually his hair was tied. He had long hair, but his hair mm -hmm. was tied back. Um, he just had like uh, he just he's a sharp fucking guy, man. He just had like some cool slacks on and like an army jacket or some sort of military jacket, you know, and um, yeah, just fucking just like sharp guy man you know like older dude you know got his shit together yeah. like he just looks great you know and i was like ah, it's cool. I see go talk to that dude man you know and just like like some you know like sometimes when you when you see people and they were like in a situation where they had like to just like decide to go one way or the other way and you just want to say congratulations you did the right thing even though they don't care if you say that yeah but like Seeing fields of the left of them nowadays, and I think I saw them last time a year before the pandemic, so 2019 or something, uh, 2021. 
Uh, no, wait, oh, dude, time. 2020 was when the pandemic started, right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, yeah, so 2019. Um, and they still own their game, man. They're so good live. They sound good. He has a great voice. And, dude, and then, like, I saw a video of Sisters of Mercy from a festival of this year in broad daylight. And Andrew Eldridge is the worst fucking oh, he's shot. Like, loser. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's dude. totally like, shot, Andrew Eldridge. Yeah. Horror, horrible. It's <laughs> like, oh, no. Like, people went there to buy tickets, and I was like, I don't think you should go. And they were afterwards, like, it was such a pathetic shit show. And I'm like, cool. So, like, you could go up to him and like, see, you won, Carl. Like, you, you outran the other guy. <laughs> Yeah, because they got to be about the same age, Carl McCoy and, and Andrew Eldridge too. You know, they're from yeah, their bands yeah. are contemporaries of each other. You know, yeah, and this is like uh, it's it's unbelievable how to see like how one band really like took a break, made the best of it, and like uh, like did their chores off, and, and now they are they still this killer band, and the other band are just a fucking joke playing like song. It almost seems like a terrible cover band or like an opening of a of a furniture store like oh yeah here's uh the brothers of mercy playing all the hits of sisters of mercy <laughs> the brothers of mercy i like that dude i don't know if that's if that's a thing in the states but we've got like we've got abcd the acdc tribute band we've got uriah jeep a uriah heap cover band and they're successful playing just covers all the time oh wow <laughs> it's no. just like yeah so like that's like having a band like the Brothers of Mercy here, or I've, I've, I guess there's a cover band doing Sisters of Mercy that has like some ridiculous name, Sisters of Sunshine. I don't know, like whatever. But like they kind of feel like a cover band by now. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, they we definitely have cover bands here. Like for example, um, yeah, you know, Drew and Justin from from Tombs have an engine. They have a band called Engine Head, which is a Motorhead tribute band, basically. You know. Ah, see, okay, so yeah, and uh, do it the same way. Yeah, you know, it's like, but then there's like, um, you know, especially out here in New Jersey where I live, there's all kinds of like cheesy places that have like, um, you know, like Smiths tribute bands, and you know, the yeah. Cure one. I mean, I don't go to these things, but like, they make yeah. money. They probably make more more money doing that with that scene than original music. You know, so sure, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Oh man, um, let me. I, I want to try something here. Okay. Um, I, when I when I thought about this record and that time frame, I, I mentioned these like I mentioned a bunch of bands that had like big successful records out, and there were like kind of these side project bands with some of these dudes that fall in the same vein. So like I I think we should do a playlist of like Zune, of course, and then we add to the playlist we add like bands. That are kind of maybe you know like influenced on this record, so maybe a track of Pandemonium, okay, or uh, stuff like this, you know, like have like this our our take on where the sound comes from, maybe Head of David, but I don't think Head of David is on Spotify. But uh, so like I have I have three bands that are kind of like all star side project bands. I want to name the bands and I want to see if you know them and know who was in that. Okay, you're. Let's you want do to it. do that? Yeah, let's do it. You know. All right. Okay. The first band that came to mind listening to the Nephilim, Nail Bomb. Yeah, yeah. That that's got uh, Max Cavalera and the dude from Fudge Tunnel in it. Yeah. Right, Alex Newport. Alex yeah. Newport. One record point. Yeah, Point Blank, ninety four. 
really good record, still holds up. Also industrial beats, really nasty, really political. And I mean, uh, Cavalero was always a punk, so like a uh, good mixture. Um, Just yeah, real that- quick about Nail Bomb. <laughs> Ironically, that's probably the biggest record that Alex Newport ever played on. That's correct. You yeah. know, I mean, uh, Fudge Tunnel. Yeah. Let's put it this way with Fudge Tunnel. Every record by them has at least two killer songs on it. But yeah. a lot of it just never really gelled with me. You know, like of an entire album. I don't think I could listen to an entire record by them. Yeah, yeah. There's this. Uh, there's another band like this. I I I, I forgot to put that on the list. But Scorn. I oh don't yeah, know, was also from that. Yeah, that's but on your list. Scorn. I... Scorn's on your list. No, no, that, no. That's not. I forgot this. I just thought about it, and I thought it was like also like British people, but I don't think so. Like I'm not sure, but like I'll put down Scorn. Uh, so yeah, okay. Enabomb was big. I mean, they also played. Uh, um, what was that fest? Um, Eindhoven, the oh, dude, Dynamo, of course. Yeah, oh, okay. they had like this famous. Yeah. They played Dynamo Fest back then. Okay, second one, Me Took Seed. Yeah, that's uh, Lou from Sick of It All and um, um, Shane Embury, right? Or or Mitch right. Harris, or one of the one of the guys from Napalm. Yeah, Shane Embury and two guys from Obituary. It's Donald ah, okay. Tardy and Trevor Paris. There yeah. you go. Okay. Uh, Eric 93 embedded also has like this mechanical industrial noisy thing going and the last one probably the biggest super group ever to be formed by a German that has a as a like little hint voodoo cult that I'm unfamiliar with okay now okay now your socks will be blown off okay so do you know Philip Boa and the voodoo cult and the Voodoo Club, Philip Boa and the Voodoo Club. No, I don't know that stuff. It's a German guy who who has been in the Gothic scene forever. He's uh, he's done like weird weird pop music, and he's always been like playing at the Zillow Festival, Amphi Festival, like like this festivals where the Cure and all the dark wave people go to. Okay. And he has like some really dark songs. Some is really quaky and weird. And in that phase in 90, in 93, 94, he decided he wants to have a metal band. Uh-huh. And he's, he's been friends. He's been friends with Waldemar Richter, who's been a big producer of German metal back then. So he recorded Creator and all these bands. Okay. And, like, and Philip Boa assembled a super group of people to record two records. The one is called The Debut Was Jesus Killing Machine in 94 and the same title record in 95. And now be ready. So Philip Boas sang, Dave Lombardo played drums, Chuck Schuldinger played guitar, Mila Petros of Creator played guitar. It had like a bunch of other guys. And on the second record, even Jim Martin of Faith No More played guitar. This is called Voodoo Cult? Yes, Voodoo Cult. Okay. All right. This sounds interesting. Yeah, it's 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 hard. Like I I recently got like two the two CDs. I don't know if there's vinyl of that, but like I got the two CDs really cheap. But like both records are also on Spotify. Um, and it I don't know if it holds up because he has like this weird kind of way. Like you will hear instantaneously that he's German. Um, and there's a song called Albert is a Hatbanger. Albert is a Hatbanger. Then he always like has this German pronunciation of everything. But he's got fucking Dave Lombardo play guitar, uh, play drums, and he've got like Chuck Schuldinger playing guitar in some of these tracks, which is insane. 
I'm, I'm going to add a, a band to this list too. Okay. And, uh, have you heard Blood from the Soul? No. All right. Once Blood again, uh, once again, a Shane Embury, Lou Kohler project. Uh, that's the one because, like, I think the Me Too Tree that was not Lou Kohler. Blood from the Soul. Oh wait, soul. Okay. Me Too. I think. Hold on a second here. Meat hook. Let's see this here. Meat hook. Let's get to the bottom of this right now. Yeah. Meat Detective Internet is on the work. Yeah. I'm just I'm going through my files here. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. No, Lou, you're. I we misspoke. Lou Kohler is not in yeah. in Meat Hook Seed. It's Mitch Harris, yeah. John Tardy, Trevor Paris, Perez rather. Um, Shane Embury. Shane Embury <laughs> is the common denominator between these bands. So yeah, but I I do know Meat Hook Seed. Okay. All right. Blood from the Soul is the one that has Lou on vocals. Their first okay. album. I'll tr- the first album. Okay. Back in yeah. 2020, they put out another record with a different guy on vocals. Okay. That's like uh it doesn't sound anything like the first record. Like uh, another uh, mm-hmm. hardcore singer was uh was on that record. Okay. <clears throat> okay, I'll check and it that, out. And that record's yeah. not as good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the <clears throat> the voodoo cult stuff is interesting, and it like it has a, it has this. Yeah, that's what I wanted to mention. Like the um, if you listen to uh, Pazuzu Black Rain to go to go back to the Zoom record, like it already starts with like a rolling double bass, but it has this double lead guitar in the middle, like in, at around three minutes. And the first thing that came to mind from the sound and the guitars is like, oh, divine intervention. Because yeah. like all these bands back then had the sound that Slayer then had with Divine Intervention. And that was kind of like the standard for extreme metal. And like the voodoo cult stuff sounded exactly like this record. Like you oh. can hear instantaneously, it's like it's these kind of guitars, it's this kind of drum recording. So it really fits into the mold of that time. And it's like, I, as I said, it's cool. It's kind of weird. I mean, for me, Philip Boa is like a household name, but people here know him. But like that project never made it across the pond because no one really knows that, knows him. Um, but I think that Me To Exceed record is like, is fucking A plus, man. The artwork with the with the bag, the baby in the bag yeah. is... It's mysterious and spooky, not like the Belfigore baby that's like chopped into pieces on that first shitty Belfigore record. <laughs> but like the artworks, like that, like I remember seeing the CD in the, in the shelves. It's like I bought it and I didn't know what it was. And that was a time when I was just like buying records just from the looks of it. And later I found out, like, oh, wow, this is one of the Napalm guys and two of Obituary. That's cool. Oh. Yeah, good stuff, man. Like all, all kinds of cool yeah. music and uh, yeah that that's uh, in the industrial metal thing, it walks a line of being really cheesy and being awesome. You know what I mean? Yes. And but the bands yeah, and, that we and, talk about are awesome. These bands. Yeah, and especially like yeah, that's why it's so sad that Zune is not on more people's radars because people can recall the side project of these uh, of these famous metal bands in the 90s. I mean, Nail Bomb is a, like every metal head from that time knows who Nail Bomb is. Me Took Seeds, not so much. Voodoo Cult is pretty regional here. Um, but like I asked around, like when we played that show yesterday and like, you know, like people in my band, so Manu, our drummer in Ulfa and in Ropes of Night, he is like very knowledgeable. And of course he said like, oh yes, I bought the record in a one euro bin. And I remember... 
I was listening to it and thinking this is really like 90s metal and uh, but it's really cool and I didn't know it was Fields of the Nephilim and I'm like okay good now now you know Ma Manu has a has well, a really severe accent like that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like like a lot of Germans have because again our dumb system has everything dubbed on TV and um, I mean Manu is like fluent in talking but like he has the has the accent that a lot of people here have because. Yeah. If, if you don't like go in voluntarily and listen to stuff in English or watch English shows, uh, you won't get rid of it. But that's why the Dutch, the Swedish and all these people have like really like le the least accent you can have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, the Dutch language is incredibly hard to master too. the sounds that they make. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I, yeah. as far as other Europeans go. How many other non-Dutch people can actually speak Dutch, like, well? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think a, small, yeah. a low percentage. And English is, like, the way that it seems like everyone internationally communicates, you know. Yes, or or German. Is. German's another very widely spoken language in Europe, I believe, too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the, the Romanian language. It's pretty much, I think, French is more popular but um, but it's I mean, the Romanian languages, they're all intertwined. So like as a German, I can see French texts or, or Italian or Spanish and like some words I know because right. they resemble a word I know. But uh, the, the Dutch stuff is, I mean, it's, it's a bastard of, of German, English, and I think a bit of French. So like you can have a sentence and you can see like, okay, this word is a German word. And this is like, I, I think I mentioned it before. There's this... Uh, like if you have like these, uh, I don't know, like the bumps in the road that like like people place in the street so you don't like like drive too fast. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're they're called trembles. And it's like as a, it's pronounced tremble, but it's written like tremble, like shiver, or like the shaking in English. So like it is, it's like a loan translation because like okay, when you drive above, like on top of it, your car will start to tremble. And that's like how they stole that word, I assume, or something. And then before that, you have like a German word, which is like let up, is like pass auf. And there's so much intertwined. So I, when Dutch people speak, it's like half of the words I understand and half of them I don't. It's, it's, it's weird. But yeah, great people. I love the Dutch. Oh, yeah. Holland is like one of my favorite places to visit, man. Like when I go over there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can always just give praise because, like, this is the cool thing about Cologne that, like, within 45 minutes, I'm in the Netherlands if I want to be. And uh, there is so much ch more chill when it comes to, you know, like, censoring of horror or, like, they had, like, this, the, the you can, like, buy marijuana in the coffee shops and decent amounts. They just go about everything more chill. And then, like, also they have, like, as I mentioned on, on one of our last episodes, on, on the Q&A with me, it's like uh, the Dutch black metal scene right now is just mind-blowing. And, like, in the 90s with Gorefest, they had one of the best death metal bands to ever grace Europe. Um, yeah, great country, great people. I always love to play shows there. The venues are badass. Like, I mean, you know O13. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's just, like, there's no comparison to that in Germany. Like the Dutch, they have their venues. Like they're the bomb. Yeah. Well, I think that's it, man, for Zoom. I think we got it covered. And uh, so, you Dude. know, everyone uh, check this record out if you're not familiar. 
And then also yes. check out the rest of uh, Carl McCoy and Fields of the Nephilim's uh, catalog. It's all great music. Um, you know, if you've made yes. it this far into the show, you're definitely interested. So check it out. And then we're going to put together this killer um, playlist with all this other stuff. On. Yeah. And, and maybe also like when you post it, maybe you link our old episode and the old playlist we did for the Fields thing. Yes. And uh, yeah, we'll, we will do a new killer playlist with music. If you into like, if you want to fuck around with uh, metal that is drenched with a bit of industrial, we got you covered. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.